G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. You might want to join into over this next hour as we talk about what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. We'll talk about the Russian invasion, the latest developments, and also the coordinated work of churches in the battle-scarred nation. It's now four months since Russian forces began their invasion with no end in sight. Large swathes of Ukrainian territory have fallen to Moscow. Western sanctions against Russia appear to have failed. And right now, Ukraine says Russian troops are pursuing relentless shelling on its eastern Donetsk region. Well, our special guest today is in Australia on furlough from Ukraine, based just to the south of the capital, Kiev. Wayne Chek is an Aussie who works with Operation Mobilisation in Ukraine and Operation Mobilisation, they work in a hundred nations around the world, but they've got a tremendous presence in Ukraine. Wayne Chek, let me say, a special privilege for us today to have you in the studio with us. Welcome along. Yeah, g'day Neil, thanks a lot and it's good to see you face to face. You know, I've had a number of conversations with you over these past four months and some updates now and then and I sort of get the impression when I'm talking to you in Ukraine, I'm sitting in the studio here and we've got a a sort of a tenuous link uh, with an app and I'm sort of picturing you sitting in front of your uh, your you know your laptop computer and uh, in a dark basement somewhere you know trying to hide from the Russian forces. I know it's not quite been like that, but that's sort of the the impression that I've had. Um, yeah, I can understand how you would think that way. Um, it's not far from the truth, actually. In the beginning, so we thought that the the electricity was going to be cut off and we would lose uh, internet, obviously. So we used any opportunity that we could to communicate. And um, yeah, I remember sitting in uh, a little. Uh, the hut of my father and mother-in-law's place uh, in a village, and while the war, war was raging, so um, we were there to escape. And I, yeah, not quite a basement, but yeah. Well, it's been a real privilege uh, to be able to get your insights because hearing from someone who's on the ground in Ukraine and suffering perhaps even some of the anxieties that ordinary Ukrainians are feeling as they're under attack. And uh, the the invasion was, in fact, at one point there, and I think it's uh, subsided a little now, but uh, Kiev was really, uh, you know, they was in the firing line of the Russian forces. Uh, so it's been a privilege for us to be able to get those insights from you over that time. It's just been fabulous. There's a little bit of a relaxation in Kiev, but you give us your insights here. How do people in your community and in Kiev... How are they feeling about things that are going on in the eastern regions? Yeah, so um, just a few weeks ago, there was a renewing of missile attacks throughout the whole country, including including Kiev, uh, and that really put, you know, I could say, put the pressure back on because uh, people 
We're trying to return to some sort of semblance of, of normal life and um, everyone's been encouraged, those that can, go, go back uh, to work uh, to uh, help the economy. So um, suddenly when you hear of um, you know, missile attacks taking out residential buildings or shopping centers, suddenly then that, that, that uh, you know, crosses off a whole lot of potential places to visit. Um, if you're with your family um, trying to get back uh, back to life. Uh, but a couple of weeks before we um, returned to Australia, I took the family to Kiev. This was before the, the renewed missile attacks. And um, to say it was a ghost town would, would be an overstatement, but um, you know there were cars on, on the road, but there was no fuel in the fuel stations. Um, there were a couple of the supermarkets open, but um, dirty windows and signs on the windows saying, you know, you could basically see that this was, um, it was, it was sort of like a, a parallel universe to what we'd known in the past. And that was a, yeah, that, that was, that was a, a memory for my wife to get out of the house, but to see that, um, yeah, what, what life's like in the capital at this stage. Well, it must be very difficult uh, when authorities are saying, try and get back to life as normal as you can make it, uh, when in actual fact the economy is quite crippled. Uh, If you can't get fuel, that slows an awful lot of business and industry and normal life. That's just not there anymore if you can't get fuel. So normal life isn't normal life. Uh, How do you describe the economy in Ukraine? Because this might be one of the objectives of the Russians to, in fact, cripple the entirety of Ukraine, even though they're working now in the eastern areas. Yeah, absolutely. So um, quite often we would think of of war as like it's a game of chess, except that people are dying and you've got rules. But um, it it involves the whole of the uh, society and every aspect of that, including everyday life. Like if, if you're if you're scared, then that's going to affect how how you act. Um, and you know, kids can't play outside when the when the when the the sirens are going and and, and things like that. So, um, however, we do understand that we're in for the long the long haul, and uh, the world has been amazed by Ukrainian courage and bravery um, on the battlefield, but also within society. And we understand that um, that's the first stage, but longer into it, it's not. It's not. It's not heroism and and weapons only that win a war. It's economy and and logistics. And so, this is a part of of the the, the total war effort is to um, to get in and, and and play your role as you can. We might talk some more about that, but let me just take you to uh, the latest. Uh, Just shortly before our conversation today, I thought, oh, what's the latest that's going on in Ukraine? Well, uh, here's a prayer point for listeners, because really, as we are speaking right now, at least 30 people are still trapped, reportedly, in the rubble of a Chasivyar apartment building in eastern Ukraine. According to AFP news agency, uh, the uh, it was a Russian missile attack late last night. Now, that might be the last 24 hours ago, but uh, 15 people killed. Those sorts of stories, are they coming through regularly where you're monitoring things, Wayne? Oh, absolutely. So um, we all have our apps and we're, we're, we're getting regular news. And um, so we get, to, we get to follow things. And now um, the country is set up so that we can see what's going on exactly uh, where, uh, with uh, the exception of things that have to do with national security. 
Um, but in uh, but in general, um, yes, we uh, we are very aware of what's going on. And even back here in Australia, there are multiple times during the day when we go back and we we listen to the news. Except Australia is so many hours ahead. So you wake up in the morning, find out what happened yesterday. So um, it's not exactly um, uh, in in real time. But yes, we're 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 watching it closely. Wayne, lots of listeners can hear your Aussie accent. Uh, you haven't lost that at all. Uh, give us a little insight into your story because uh, you married a Ukrainian girl. Give us a, an insight into your place in Ukraine. Well, in Australia, I'm known as um, Wayne from Ukraine. Uh, it's a bit tacky, of course, but people can remember it. Um, but in Ukraine, uh, my friends call me Vanya. And so uh, in the first years, I spent a lot of work studying um, the local language and, and culture. And um, there's no letter W in the in the Russian alphabet. So uh, I would be called Vane, and I don't want to be called Vane. So I came up with the... Um, uh, with the, the the local version of Ivan, which is Vanya, so um, that uh, that helps me with the locals. Um, I went to Ukraine in um, 1993 as a almost 18 year old on a one year mission adventure. After I failed the medical at the, the trying to get into the Australian Defence Force Academy, uh, I got the chicken pox, and so some people have really suffered from COVID, but it was ch- the chicken pox that changed my life. And uh, within a few months, I was uh, in Ukraine, uh, in a brand new country, seeing um, uh, seeing them go through their early you know, childhood phases as as a as a free country after uh, post communism. And also, there's been thousands of years of of history, so it was a very special time in Ukraine. And I could see God doing things, and I wanted more of that. Um, and I then um, decided to stay. And uh, within a couple of years, I'd met the girl, and, and the rest is history. And uh, when we talk family, uh, there you are south of Kiev, uh, and your church is in Kiev. Did you take over that church? Did you plant that church? Uh, what's the connection here, Operation Mobilization, and the way that the churches have been influencing areas of Ukraine? Yep, that's a big, that's a big question. Um, probably need to split it in, in, into multiple ones. So um, I was um, helping with a youth group in Kiev, and another Aussie said uh, to us, uh, to our group, uh, we're going to go plant a church south of Kiev. So I went along as a helper. Um, we had a major disruption because of the post-communist people still in power uh, when we were there in this little town of Kaharulik, which is 80 kilometers south of Kiev. Uh, within a few years, we were able to get the church registered despite opposition. And uh, then uh, the, uh, the founding pastor, he w- came back to Australia on furlough, left me in charge, and then wrote me an email saying he's not returning to be the pastor. So that was how I got stuck there. Um, and uh, Operation Mobilization came into the picture um, a, a lot later. Um, it's a, that's, that's a long story. But it turned out that um, they were looking for uh, young, innovative people looking into the areas of discipleship through sport, also in church planting, but um, in the area of business for transformation. And that's where that's where my calling is. So uh, we hit it off really well. And you started to play cricket in Ukraine. Now, this is some years before the war, but uh, Ukrainians... 
did they, it's U- Ukrainians and Indians, I think it is, isn't it? Uh, the Indian population in Ukraine uh, just loved it when you started beginning to play cricket. That's correct. So I was taught that we're not there to colonialize in our version of Christianity. Um, and so um, I didn't. Um, I just, um, there was one time when a Tasmanian called me, he says, hey, Wayne, do you know that there are Indians that play cricket in Kiev? And so we traveled there and uh, as, as a kid uh, in Australia, so white skin, white clothes, red ball, long format of the game, um, you know, grass, uh, fields, astroturf going on into turf. So, but when I turned up that, that first morning, there was a, it was a terrible soccer field that was all dirt after the, all, uh, after the winter. There was no grass on it. There was a mat that they rolled out to cover up the, uh, uh, the divots in, in the pitch. And uh, it was a white ball, colored clothes, and everyone was dark skinned and it was this T20 thing. And, uh, but when they tossed me the ball and, and, and I caught it, it was, it was like being born again, again for me. <laughs> and, uh, new stage in life really, uh, really started. And, um, yes, um, the rooms that we had converted after the first war in 2014, um, for refugees became a dormitory for Indian students all from all over the country coming to play cricket and they I mean it's in their blood so you've got an, an amazing connection so he was this spiritual worker um, creating heaven on earth for them uh, and they would come um, from all different backgrounds of course and live in our church uh, so we had the uh, like the, the 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 tent experience in the Old Testament where you've got the incense going up but we had the smell of curry <laughs> And of course, of uh, you know, shoes that we'd been wearing all day. So that was an that was an amazing part of our history. But I didn't create cricket in Ukraine. I just joined into what was already happening, and we became a real hub uh, for inter intercultural connections. And that really works with with OM because we're trying to see vibrant communities of Jesus followers among the least reached. And India has the largest number of uh, unreached uh, uh, people groups in the world. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Just want to open our talkback line too. You might like to connect with Wayne from Ukraine. Wayne Chek, who's an Aussie. He works with Operation Mobilization. He's the leader of a church to just to the south of Kiev, the capital in Ukraine. We're getting some insights into what's happening during this time, four months into the war, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. 1-800-316-316. Wayne, we mentioned your church and the way you've had to adapt what your church gets used for when you've got displaced people who no longer have a home anymore and they need somewhere to find some shelter. Give us a, a little description of your church and what it looks like today. Yeah, so now that we're 135 days into the war, we've gone through multiple stages. But um, in the early parts, when people were fleeing um, from the east uh, to the west, we would um, uh, accommodate people um, through our own connections. And also sometimes people would miraculously turn up uh, and we would take them in. And uh, for many of them, it was the first time that they'd ever stepped inside a an evangelical uh, church um, so that was that was quite special um, uh, in in their pilgrimage towards Jesus. 
um, that we could play a role as a sanctuary and as a safe place for them to reorientate themselves before mainly heading uh, heading west. So that's now uh, changed that uh, people are not fleeing so much because uh, that first wave happened. And um, just for your interest, more than two-thirds of Ukrainian children are now displaced. So you can imagine the, how the demographics have, uh, have changed. Um, the church became, we, we converted the, uh, the children's ministry room into a, a humanitarian aid room. And uh, many people were forced to flee with, you know, just a bag or uh, some people didn't even have time to put their shoes on when, uh, when, when the time came. So um, helping people with the, th- the things that they needed. And now we have more long-termers. So people from the northern areas uh, where they can't go back because of the destruction, uh, we've made it clear that, that they can stay as long as they need to. Um, but it's a safe place for them to go back. But there are people from the southern and the eastern regions that are now occupied, and many of them have very harrowing stories of um, how they escaped, and um, God has them in our nest as we look after them. But of course, if they've come as a family, then they're unemployed, and that just uh, adds on to the the whole thing of uh, you know what will the future look like? Will they ever be able to go back? Well. People who are displaced and coming from, as you say, uh, having their own harrowing uh, stories, their own experiences, uh, no doubt uh, traumatised some. Uh, Those who are experiencing grief and loss, uh, those who might be wondering about their own family members who are back home or are on the front lines fighting. Those sorts of stories, uh, people are talking about those things regularly. Yeah, this is the life that we live. Basically, it fills up most of our lives um, now. So um, you could imagine that if your child uh, was not with you um, and you couldn't you couldn't find him and he was in a dangerous place, how that would just consume you. So we're seeing that. Um, I remember uh, we uh, we came back to the the church about a, a month in after the Russians had uh, moved from the northern side of Kiev. I brought my family back and my little son who had. Um, his first month was very fortunate that um, his war experience was boredom or cabin fever, being stuck in a little tiny hut with a bunch of relatives. And there were there were nine of us in seventy square meters in in the Ukrainian winter. But um, the day that uh, we came back home, uh, he met a little refugee girl, and they hit it off uh, very well. It it was love at first sight. Well, at least for her, anyway. So uh, they uh, they had a they had a great time. And the you know, so you've got everyone's got their own experience, and we are well aware that mm, this war is not going to be over even when the fighting stops. But you're going to have uh, you know, the the fallout from the trauma. So that's going to be a big part of the future ministry of the churches in helping people through that, um, and also the whole concept of reconciliation because um, you know, basically the country has gone through things that um, on a mass scale that uh, that we can barely fathom if you've never been in a war situation. You mentioned a little earlier, sometimes those who are setting foot inside an evangelical church uh, for the first time, because from what I understand, uh, majority population in Ukraine actually has a Christian foundation, but Orthodox or Russian Orthodox, uh, real connections there to a different stream than what most of us in evangelical Christianity might be used to. 
What's so different about the way people believe? You've got uh, Orthodox people coming into an evangelical church. What's, what's their impression? Well, actually, around the world, uh, no matter what religion you're a part of, you've got those that would be fundamentalists, and then you've got those that would be, you know, uh, periphery uh, uh, believers, or or they believe that that they are orthodox. Or even in Australia now, the question is, are you are you Christian? You know, what is your what is your connection? And people are having to think about that. So culturally, they're orthodox. Um, but uh, post-communist, um, that was uh, we're going through major change after 30, uh, 30 years, and the Ukrainian people are trying to find out who they are. And the questions are also: How does Orthodox Christianity fit into the the modern world? Does God does God exist, and what place does He need to have? So it's it's quite similar uh, to the Catholic Church, uh, you would say. Uh, a number of uh, there are a number of differences. Um, however, um, Ukrainians are more Eastern than than the Catholics would be Western. So we think in a more uh, it's a rational way, whereas theirs is a more myst- mystical way. And it's a it, Ukraine is in that place of the bridge between the East and the West. So it's quite it's quite an interesting um, place to be as you engage people in things of the faith. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Wayne from Ukraine is our special guest this hour. Let's take a call. Anne is in Labrador in Queensland. Hi, Anne. Welcome. And I just see if I can get Anne. I might have missed something here. Hello, Anne. Anne, welcome along. Oh, hello. Um, I've been praying for Ukraine, and uh, we have a prayer group every Wednesday morning, and I just want to know specifically what we need to really pray for, to the end of the war, or do we pray that somehow the Lord will intervene and stop this from happening completely in Ukraine, and for the people as well? Wayne? Yes, well, of course we want the fighting to end. Um, that means the bloodshed will end, but it it doesn't mean that it will be the end. Um, because of of my experience being there for so long, and you're you're seeing all of these background things going on um, for the Ukrainian people, you're actually seeing a metamorphosis, a transformation taking place of uh, a culture that has suffered for so much over the last you know the last century, now becoming. Mm, moving out of being victims into claiming uh, their right for their own future. And so there are deep changes that are going on despite the, atro- the atrocities. So we're praying that the Lord would do what he wants to do during this, during this time. And um, just like we read in the New Testament, um, the first people movement happened during a persecution, and it wasn't an enjoyable experience, and, and bad things happened. But God moved people and new churches began, a whole missions movement began. So we're seeing, you know, our prayer is that the Lord would use this and take it as deep as, as he wants for the, for the results to happen in this history. It's, it's Jesus' history of the world. He's over the world history, and he moves people around the world, whole people groups and things like that. And he also sends his people uh, as light into the darkness, and he moves people um, out of certain situations to contact with Christians. And so um, this current event is changing the world. You're seeing 
history take place before our eyes, and we would ask that the Lord would um, uh, use his people and he would use these circumstances that people would find him. Um, But, of course, we want the bloodshed to end, but we'd also say that um, because of the evil that you have seen, and it really is as black as black and white as as you can you can see, mm, we are used to dealing with people um, and and having you know making an agreement, um, even even with your enemy at a point where something would stop. Um, the rhetoric and the positioning and the lead up and now the application of of what's been going on shows that this is not a fight about land or it's not about language. Um, It's about a total suppression to the point of um, we want you dead or alive and we don't want you to have your history. We want you to be totally part of us. So that uh, if you take that into mind, then any ceasefire now is unfinished business and uh, it will only continue and uh, we believe that the Lord uh, has a deep work that he, that he wants to do both in the Ukrainian people and in Europe as it's being changed and then in time uh, in Russia as well. Wayne, when you feel as though the rations could be on my doorstep at any moment, uh, give us some insights here into what grips you, what do you think about, what's most important when you think, any moment now, I could be under attack. Yeah. So um, not something that you'd want anyone else to go through. And uh, life becomes very simple in those moments of, um, of, of dread. And um, what we, we were happy that we had a contingency plan already set up. So that was good. Uh, Operation Mobilization has 30 years of uh, experience working in, um, in hotspots and in, in places of, of major crisis. So uh, we were able to plug into that. But for our local people, I mean, we've been living under the cloud of, of threat and potential war for, uh, for eight years. And uh, eight years ago, uh, we, we had the, the war begin. Um, but uh, for the members of, of my church, you can imagine we're only an hour south of Kiev. The, the, the shelling and the missiles are starting to come in, and then there are cities being attacked that are... Uh, on a ring around Kiev, and we're on the southern ring. So what do you do? Um, I took my family to a safer place. We did not feel called to to leave the country, but um, safety for my family was, was important so that then we could uh, begin to do uh, what I needed to do is coordinating a mission effort. But for the locals, um, talking to uh, the leader of our, of our church at the moment, um, basically, you could just imagine over the horizon, that's where the explosions are happening. And he puts his family forcibly into a vehicle and says, drive west. They have a vehicle. Great. Lots of tears. Maybe he'll never see them again. And then he goes into the uh, the local uh, army enlistment and says, you know, I, I'm here, uh, along with you know, thousands of others. So uh, that was uh, that was what the Ukrainians did because they weren't willing to 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 lose what they had and uh, they could not picture a future in, under the rule of the value system that was uh, that was attacking them. But yeah, making split second decisions of of what what you're going to be doing is is a very heavy thing. Did you have people who were a part of your church when war was declared 
uh, take up arms and go and fight on the front line? Was that the decision that some of your parishioners made? On the local level, uh, the, the men, some of them were already mobilised. So uh, that, um, that, that was going along um, right, bef- right before the war. Others, uh, including men at my enterprise, who are on a journey towards Christ, not churchgoers at the moment. Um, when it all when it all started at that moment, they also went in and they to and they were they were handed out weapons and said defend your town. And now we have guys that have continued on um, to actually join the military along with um, others that uh, within our my network within uh, OM. We have people from seminaries and pastors and others who are either chaplains or they join the military or they became what we call volunteers. Um, that are um, a, a volunteer is someone who voluntarily uses his resources to go in and extract people, evacuate people, move, uh, move them and take them to, uh, to hubs where they can then uh, um, be safe. So you've got a whole spread of people that are taking a proactive role and then you've got a whole bunch of people that are the ones that need to be moved to safety, um, including women and, and the children and the grand and the grandparents and um, and also there are some people that should never be in a war zone. Those guys need to um, wait it out and find something useful to do further away from the battlefronts. We are taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take some more. Jacob is in Mwilumba, New South Wales. Hello, Jacob. Welcome. Uh, good morning, Neil, and also Wayne. Uh, thank you for this morning. Um, I'm just wondering what the situation with aid, because uh, I've sort of been doing some aid work, uh, mission work, in previous years to an organisation just to the west of uh, Ukraine in Moldova and they have an aid organisation there and I'm just trying to see whether or not there's something they can contribute or help with with Wayne's organisation. Connections here, Wayne? Um, yeah, we're, we're, I'm, I'm into networking, definitely, but I can say that if you're already uh, working with Moldova, then there's a really great OM team there, a large international team, and the beautiful thing was in the first days of the war when hundreds of thousands were fleeing, turned into millions going over the the western border into Poland, Hungary, and and Moldova, and and also Romania and, and the Czech Republic. Um, in Moldova itself, because of uh, the work that we do, they're connected both with the, the Baptists and the Pentecostals. Um, 90% of those fleeing Ukraine were first met, their first touch over the border was in the hands of Christians, and it was and it was a beautiful thing. So you're looking at a tiny little minority that has been persecuted uh, during communism and never accepted in, as a, as a important part of society. They are the ones first on the trigger. Um, they're 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 there. They're maneuverable. They're um, and and they're there offering uh, what it is that that is needed. And so you can imagine that there have been multiple touches of many people that have never had contact with uh, evangelical Christians before. As they're fleeing to safety, um, it is the kingdom of God that is touching, and the children of God who are the the ones there. So aid. Um, uh, continues. There are definitely needs, um, so uh, I would say keep uh, keep doing that. Within within Moldova itself, you still have hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians who haven't returned home, um, that have big questions over their future, uh, and uh, and they're stuck. 
So there's a new wave of what ministry. It's not for their safety now. They're safe. Uh, how do churches uh, help them beyond, um, beyond, you know, in, into the next steps? And that is, yes, food, yes, accommodation, but also what will that look like in creating dignified employment or, or, or other things for them? Okay, thank you so much. Are you familiar? I was just going to say, is uh, Matthew, Wayne familiar with Matthew Hillier from CMI Aid? He's an Australian based there in uh, near Cahul in Moldova. Um, I'm personally not, but I'm sure that the OM team does. So if you, uh, we can connect through uh, Vision Radio, and we, we yep. definitely... or uh, through the OM website, uh, the Australian side is probably the easiest way to connect there, and the website is OM dot org dot au uh, thanks so much jacob for uh, great insight and uh, input there let's take another call alex is in melbourne hello alex welcome oh hello <clears throat> uh yes um, i'm just wondering about the situation in in ukraine there that um difficult to understand why it's happened and all this although i'm thinking like when you when you've got a bad neighbor like you move into a house and you've got bad neighbours, or you know, and then you've got to try and live with them, because I'm saying that because uh, when at, before it all started, I you know you, there were words about joining the United Nations and that, and then and then that's how it all started. I, I understand, and then not long ago uh, again uh, there was more words about. Uh, that sort of movement towards the United Nations. And sure enough, we got a bombing of Kiev. And I'm just thinking, uh, for the sake of uh, peace, <laughs> or, or, you know, for the sake of, uh, you know, living together, have to learn, it's not up easy to get up and get away. So it's, we have to learn to live with each other somehow, although it's... Alex, uh, you're making a very important point here uh, because you might be thinking, how does the Ukrainian people uh, mix if there is an invasion from Russia? And I suspect that's a sort of an area where you're, you're talking here. Uh, Wayne, do the Ukrainians and the Russians mix? Uh, what are the fears that the Ukrainians would have if they're our new leaders and they're Russian. And uh, your thoughts here for Alex. Yeah, um, really really good things to talk about. Probably um, you want to sit down and have a cappuccino and a, and a cheesecake and we, we could talk longer about it. <laughs> um, that seems to be what I, what I tell people at the moment. So it, quite often we, you know, when you're talking with someone that's upset, they'll say some things, but you're not digging down to the real to the real issues. So they, they are a part of the the picture but they're not they're not the root cause so i mean if you had a really um dangerous bad neighbor that not only um was was violent but he wanted your territory and he wanted to take over burn down the fence and 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 at any cost get hold of your stuff whether or not you stay alive or, or or not then how would you feel about it what would what would you be able to do um, so it's a that's a little bit of a picture for the for the Ukrainians. Although for the the last generations they have been intermarrying. So there's there's millions of Ukrainians that have Russian relatives. But you would be amazed to hear that when they when when this this sort of thing started, the phone call suddenly you're called, you know, fascists and and things like that. 
How do you even talk with people that are living in a, in a totally different reality? And now that um, the Ukrainians are, are suffering, um, you know, how, how do they act to, to stay sane and to keep safe? And also, where will this go? Where will, where will it end? And the Ukrainian people in general are saying we're not willing to give up land, um, not because it's about the land, but because uh, the, uh, the obvious... Uh, place where this is going is for the total um, subjugation and annihilation of them as a nationhood. So those are really deep things that we've never had to think about as Australia. Thank you, Alex, for your call. Our talkback line open on one 316 We haven't had to think about those things as Australians. Uh, but you now have experienced that, Wayne, uh, where the people in desperation pick up arms to fight off an enemy because they've judged that if that enemy actually gets the upper hand, they will be suppressed, subjugated, their whole culture will be annihilated, they'll be forced out, and there will be no more Ukrainian culture in that sense. Well, actually, um, that's exactly what's happened multiple times over the last century. So if you look at a systematic approach to the total destruction of, um, of, of a nationhood and, and, it, and its history, um, we can dig in very easily to see what happened when the communists came through the Bolshevik revo- revolution, who did they get rid of, and then in 1932-33, uh, over one winter, you know, four to seven million Ukrainians were starved, and the goal was to get rid of a class of people and then we look at the Second World War, how many Ukrainians died. I mean, we know about the Jewish Holocaust, but um, millions and millions of, of Ukrainians. And you can see a systematic approach here. The sad thing was that uh, after the, uh, the forced famine, uh, the next spring came and those kids that survived, they weren't even allowed to talk about what they were feeling or what happened. And so this has been suppressed for generations and it's only now – uh, a little footnote in history that has come out out of the secret files after Ukraine became independent uh, in 1991 in the KGB files. And basically you're seeing that your, your neighbor who calls himself your, his, your big brother actually is, uh, was the instigator of this and you're discovering uh, what your history is about and then it comes out of what do we need to do because the essence around you has not changed. You're just now seeing uh, for the first time who you are. And if you're going to forge a new future, uh, you, have to make it, you have to make a decision of, of, of where you're going to be and, and what you're going to have to do about it. But this has been forced on the Ukrainian people. Wayne, let me just change direction here. Uh, lots of the eyes of the world are on Volodymyr Zelensky, the leader of the Ukrainian people. Uh, let me ask, not just your impression, but the impression of the people. Uh, are they seeing him as their national champion? He's got the goods to lead Ukrainians through this crisis. Uh, what do you? What's your impression here? Um, so personally, I see that God has chosen um, a very strange. Uh, he's made a very strange choice. And uh, he has been chosen by God to lead Ukraine at this particular time, and you, you know, you cannot deny what you're what what you are seeing. Um, and he has done an amazing job. Um, he knows about media. He knows about the young people. He knows how to to study and to and to perform. And he is actually a tough little nut. 
um, and uh, that's uh, that's come across uh, in in uh, the the bravery uh, side of things. But the truth is uh, that even right now, if that president made a decision to now give in to the Russians, um, the Ukrainian people would have nothing to do with that. So he's actually uh, got his the, the the country behind him pushing him on. Uh, so he is able to do those things and lead the country as a reflection of of the values of uh, of the people and you know um, more than eighty uh, something percent of the Ukrainian people under no circumstances will give up their uh, their sovereignty or any part of their country to appease uh, the enemy. So he's uh, he he speaks into that and he's doing uh, an amazing go- job. And God has, I would say, miraculously placed the right people around him. Uh, to do, uh, to be able to withstand. So he's not the military commander making the decisions. Uh, he's got the right people there, and uh, we've sometimes we've stood back and and seen situations unfold, and it's like, oh my goodness, somehow this uh, there, there's been uh, such you wouldn't describe it any further, any differently from uh, a, mir- a miracle. On how things uh, have happened, and we've seen this on multiple plates. So it's it's him, but it's also the team that has come together, and it's the Ukrainian people rising up. And, and there's been the world response, and there's been the foolishness of uh, of the Russians on just seems to be not working the way that they that they wanted uh, to. And I would just stand back and say, can can you not see God in this whole picture, despite the atrocities that um, God has created a situation and raised up a people. And and uh, the church is also mixed in as a uh, into this dough uh, as as a yeast, and you will see uh, beautiful fruit uh, in the future. Some somehow I got a yeast uh, illustration out of a Vladimir Zelensky question. <laughs> well, there you are, a part of the yeast there in the dough, and the work of Operation Mobilization. Uh, there's an, a whole lot of OM churches. But your coordination of what we were talking about a little bit earlier has been not just with OM, but all the other churches as well in being able to support the displaced people. You were a part of this coordinated effort that was making a real difference. How's all that going? Is it continuing to flourish? Yep. So just to clarify, OM doesn't open its own churches. We're not a denomination, but we have church planters and they um, they work with as a part of denominations. And our goal is to empower uh, the churches. We want to see vibrant communities of Jesus followers established uh, among the least reached. So we play our role in trying to help the churches in what it is that they need um, to move to the, to the next stage. And so during this this terrible crisis, uh, our goal has been one to minister as everybody doing whatever they could. So you're in this flood, which uh, here in Brisbane and, and other parts of Australia now, we're understanding the power of, of flood. If you're caught up in a flood, you, you can't really, you don't have a lot of power to do much, but you can only do what you can do. So um, we did what we could do with our teams, especially the ones that we moved out of danger, and, uh, and they were able to become hubs to take in people, connecting with the local churches. And then beyond that, um, our goal is then to uh Help those churches that throughout the whole country have stayed and done God has used for in, in amazing ways um, to help them to continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus as this crisis moves from one stage to the next and then on on onto an, another stage. 
Let's take one more call. Heather is in Harvey Bay in Queensland. Hi, Heather. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Wayne. It's lovely to hear you both. Um, my question is probably a little bit more generalised in the sense of what is, do you know what the the general feeling of like the Russian people are in regard to this invasion of Ukraine? And um, on the back of what you said in regard to the intermarriages and, and that sort of thing that has occurred... Um, and is there any, do you get any sort of response at all from like the Russian Orthodox churches or is there any sort of feeling from inside Russia uh, with your normal common sort of citizens? Well, Heather, asking about uh, what the Russians are thinking, uh, give us your best impression here, Wayne. Um, Sadly, um, we thought that with the growing number of casualties um, that um, death and and pain and wounded soldiers would speak quickly into the the Russian culture to say that this was a this was a bad thing unfortunately we're not seeing that we're we're seeing a continuation of the so in the beginning, we thought if, if Putin disappears, then this is all going to be over. But as you, you move on, you see that this is not just about one man. He's, he's the face and he's a driving force, but there, there's much more going on here. So un- unfortunately, the surveys are saying that 70 to 80 percent of Russians, I would say, not knowing anywhere near a full picture of what's happening. They've, uh, they've got a lot of uh, suppression in the media and they've been saturated in a dictatorship since communism for the entirety of communism with only a couple years difference uh, like a couple years break when Russia was falling apart and the Soviet Union fell apart and then a new dictator came and so uh, they have been saturated in a dictatorship where they think that they are an empire and they can therefore um, reimpose their their will um, on, on on a neighbor and um, it's amazing how our worldview influences the way that we treat people. Um, sometimes there's good things in worldview and sometimes there's bad things. For instance, as an Aussie, I have a she'll be right attitude, which has re- uh, that laid back attitude has really helped me in mission work. I've got a sense of humor, which has really also helped me. But when you come into a culture from a can-do young Australian uh, history into a country that has had thousands of years of uh, of of or at least hundreds of years now of uh, of, of of oppression, um, you can't just smile and say you know accept Jesus and everything's going to be great. You have to deal with the fact that there have been cultures and things going on here for centuries or even thousands of years, and un- unfortunately that's not going, that's not changing. Um, and sadly, that means that those that are wounded and they're, they're going to go back, they're going to take the hate and they're going to take the violence and they're going to take all of that that was magnified in, the, in, in uh, Ukraine where they were, um, they were uh, occupiers and, and, and conquerors and they did what they did. They, they're going to take that back to their culture. And when you take poison back, it's going to actually not help them there. However, we take a step back as Christians and we see that Jesus is the Lord over entire the entire human history and he knows what he's doing what he's doing and he's moving people around 
I personally believe that it will be the Ukrainians when they are ready um, to be able to, they will be the ones that will be able to, to speak into the Russian picture and to take Jesus because they've learned what true reconciliation uh, is and, and what forgiveness, but it's not, it's not now. Thank you so much to Heather in Harvey Bay uh, for your question. And time has run out, Wayne. I mentioned that you are on furlough. When we talk about missionaries uh, arriving back home on furlough, it doesn't mean you're on holiday. It means that you're connecting with people who have supported you and you're looking for new supporters. And I suspect a new friend or two would be very useful to you and for the good work that you're doing in your church just on the south side of Kiev in Ukraine. So for listeners who do connect with you at the Operation Mobilization website, uh, you know, do you, they get on some special uh, you know, update every now and then uh, from what you're doing? What sort of updates can they receive uh, when they connect with you and they will become one of your supporters? Uh, do you write them a letter or do you, how, do you, how do you communicate with supporters? So if someone wants to support you today, uh, what should they expect? Yep. Uh, the team at OM is really great, so everything's set up there that you can uh, not only become our personal financial supporters, you can write a note. Um, I have to admit that my life has been turned upside down. Um, doing paperwork over the last few months has not been the priority, so I've actually been using Facebook um, to put little updates up um, as uh, as is as is possible. Now that things are stabilizing a little bit, I hope to do some catch-up work um, and uh, be able to uh, speak into those many people who have given both personally to us and also to the um, to to the, the greater work. And also, we have some new initiatives, and and that's all about it's all about relationships and connecting and 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 hearing each other. Um, so uh, that will be um, a future part of of what we're doing. But if you contact me then uh, you will definitely get uh, the opportunity. The world of modern media is uh, social media allows us to be connected um, uh, in, in a very special way. Wonderful ways you can connect with our special guest today, Wayne Check. He is an Australian. He married a wonderful Ukrainian girl, uh, has a family. They live on the south side of Kiev. And he's leading a church and also part of the network of churches that are being supported and sponsored in some way by Operation Mobilization. So to be a part of the good work that Wayne Check is involved in, om.org.au. That's Operation Mobilization, om.org.au. It is a big uh, international mission organization, so do put the .au on that and you'll find some updates from Wayne Check and how you can connect and how you can be a supporter. Wayne, uh, God's richest blessing on you from this time forward. And when you get back into Ukraine, let's see if we can continue some updates and listeners can keep up to date with the good work you're doing. Thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. It was a pleasure, and I'm glad I could meet you, and uh, we'll continue this if the Lord allows. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.